speaking with Tim Sweeney, superintendent of the Coquille School District in southwestern Oregon, who has been at work strengthening early childhood education to support his young learners and their families. Tim, thanks for joining me for the Early Link podcast. Oh, I'm very excited to be here. I'm glad to glad to meet with you, Raphael. Thank you. Can you start by telling me about the Coquille School District, uh, how many schools there are, what's your student body like, and what's the school environment like? You bet. Coquille has four schools. We have our junior, senior high that serves grades 7 through 12. We have about 340 students in that school. We have a 1 through 6 elementary school, which serves about 400 students. We have an alternative ed school, uh, Winter Lakes, that serves um, about 220 students, and that's kind of a, a regional alternative school. It wasn't designed to start out that way, but it's become that. Um, we serve about 15 different school districts at Winter Lakes. And then we have our School of Early Learning, and that is serving three, four, and five-year-olds. And we have, if you count Head Start and Early Head Start and the South Coast ESD's Early Intervention Program, we serve about 200 students at that school. So about 1,000 and... Oh, 50 students in the district. Coquille School District, we, we have a fairly high poverty rate, 66% in the district. So we do a CEP program where we serve all of our students uh, three meals a day for free. We have a fairly um, homogenous group that's mostly... Uh, a Caucasian with a few Hispanic families moving into the area, but mostly it's just uh, high poverty and we're a bedroom community for Coos Bay North Bend. Can you tell me a little bit more about the about the city of Coquille, what the what the economy looks like? What does that what does the city environment look like? You bet. We'd call it a town. We're about we're about three thousand people in Coquille. We are very fortunate. We are one of the few uh, communities on the south coast that kept its lumber mill. So Rose, Roseburg Lumber has a plywood plant at Coquille, which serves about or has about 200 jobs, um, which keeps the town vibrant, uh, keeps us uh, relevant. If we were to lose our mill, that would be a very devastating situation for Coquille. We're also the county seat for Coquille, or for Coos County, excuse me. And so we have all the county government is there. We have a small hospital as well. So Coquille is a, not a large place, but it is a very active place. We have folks that are working hard to improve the downtown area. It's gone through a lot of years of neglect, and so we're starting to see some new businesses come into town. We're very excited about that. The city just put together a huge campaign of fundraising and built a brand-new city swimming pool, which is really quite remarkable for that area. But mostly, like I say, the vast majority of the jobs are in Coos Bay, North Bend area, where we're 18 miles south of that I want to talk to you about your work and your focus on early learning, but I thought I would just ask initially that your part of your focus on early learning is related to child care needs for working families. Is that correct? That is correct. It's, it's a huge component of what we do. We have lots of families where both parents work often multiple minimum wage jobs and not in Coquille. So we have... Um, have a huge need for support 
to give you an example, we started an after-school program this year um, two days a week for 90 minutes. We thought we'd have grades K through 6. We thought we'd have 20 students show up, maybe 30. We apparently didn't plan very well. We uh, finally had to cap it at 120 students. We had set aside funds for one employee to run it. We now have four employees doing this, and we're running three bus routes after school, late after school. Some of our kids are getting home at 6 o'clock with the 4.30 uh, end time, but our parents are just ecstatic about it. We had one come to the board meeting the other night, and they were just uh, really pleased with our care and concern for their their children and for our students and that we really seem to listen to what the needs of the community are and try to meet those needs. You've told the story about a student who came to you who was considering the possibility of dropping out of high school and there were some there was a family situation that had come up and she needed help and that you've described as sort of the impetus for how you've now come to focus increasingly on early learning. Tell me that story. It was springtime of 2013, and we had one of our high school ju- juniors come to my office. It was a very rare occasion for a high school student to just drop into my office unannounced. And she was really struggling with a family situation. Her mom um, worked evenings at Taco Bell in Coos Bay, and so... During the evenings, she, the high school student would take care of her four-year-old sister, excuse me, three-year-old sister, going to be four years old. And the mom had just received news that she had been promoted to daytime assistant manager, which was a big uh, excitement for the family. It would have a salary increase for her, so there was a lot of energy. But unfortunately, our high school student was going to have to drop out of high school to take care of her sister and would miss her senior year. And she was quite shaken by this and asked if there was any way I could help, anything the district could do. And uh, I kind of looked at her, you know, stupidly going, shrugging, not really knowing what to do. And I told her that we would work on it, but I did not feel very optimistic and I didn't want to lie to her. But that was the impetus of where we started early learning. I was not willing to sacrifice the 17-year-old's future for the 4-year-old's future, and the district had to do something to help both of them. And uh, I felt like if we could get rid of some of the artificial barriers that stand in our way of, of people saying, well, it's not the school district's place to take over early learning or things like that, that we could make a difference. And... Um, we have made a difference. I'm very excited that we were able to help. Um, we did get something in place for her senior for her senior year. We were able to help the four year old and help the family. And mom was appreciative because she didn't want to have to sacrifice her 18 year old's future or 17 year old's future. So it was it was good that we could help. That's a wonderful story. So since then, you've put in place some of the childcare resources, after school programming, and you've started work on the Lincoln School of Early Learning. Can you tell me more about that school and your vision for that space? I had no idea the massive undertaking that I was committing to myself in my own mind. 
we had a our school, Lincoln was. We had a strange configuration in Coquille. We had at Lincoln School kindergarten through second grade. Our middle school was grades three through eight, and our high school was grades nine through twelve. So we moved the seventh and eighth grade to the high school. We had space there to do that. We moved our first and second grade to the middle school and turned that into a true elementary school. And then we reconfigured Lincoln School into a grades or age three, four, and five school. Um, and people like to, uh, tell me I've done great work and things like that, but it was not me. It was a very forward thinking school board. It was putting the right people in place. Sharon Nelson, our principal at Lincoln school is just magical. The kids come up and call her grandma and she just does a phenomenal job. Our teachers that we've hired there at Lincoln make it a warm and welcoming place, but it was it was a big push for our community, a big change, as you can imagine, reconfiguring. We spent a lot of time and energy and effort to make this happen. And our vision really was, could we get 20 slots for three- and four-year-olds to be at Lincoln and run some full-day kindergarten classes before full-day uh, was mandated by the state? And uh, we filled our first 20 slots in about seven hours. We then expanded the preschool pre-K program to an additional 20 slots to get up to 40. And so then we were running five days a week. We were running a morning shift and an afternoon shift, and we still had waiting lists. And uh, this is maybe not my finest moment, but people that know me know that I do love a Dutch Brothers. And I um, was at Dutch Brothers in Coos Bay one morning, and one of our parents there said they couldn't get their child into Lincoln's school. He was told that they they were full up. I said, well, if they're telling you they're full, they're not, they're not making that up. So he handed me my Dutch brothers and he goes, it's on me. I bet you can pull some strings for me. Okay. So I go back, I talk to Mrs. Nelson, our principal. And I said, Sharon, because he gave me a free Dutch brothers, I just want to ask, we're really full up, right? She goes, Tim, we're full up, but if you gave me three more hours of an educational assistant, I could serve every kid on our waiting list, and there's 17 of them. Oh, geez. Okay, so I walked down to the business manager and said, what's it going to cost to add three more hours of educational assistant for the rest of the year? And it was $2,800. So, well, that's a no-brainer. We can do that. So we expanded that. We then called those 17 parents on our waiting list. Every parent accepted so that was on a Wednesday. We made the co- phone calls on Thursday, told them the openings would start on Monday. By Friday at 3 o'clock, we had 23 more people on the waiting list after filling the 17. So we can't keep up with demand, and we're out of space. Lincoln School holds our district office and our SPED department and our technology department, and Head Start is there, early Head Start's there. And so we were busting at the seams, and the thinking was, well, we need to move the district office. So we spent a lot of time looking for a place to move the district office, and it really was nothing showing up. And so Mrs. Nelson said, Tim, why don't you just build the additional wing to the school? So that's where we spent all of this past year working on 
putting that together. And we hope to be, well, tomorrow afternoon they will open bids. And we hope to award a contract here pretty soon and start breaking ground on a child development center to be added onto Lincoln School. We'll add 2,400 square feet. We plan to serve every student that wants to come. That's our hope, age 30 months to however old. I never thought I would be an expert on early learning, and hard to call it an expert, but I know a lot more now after four years of doing it than I ever did in the spring of 2013. <laughs> That's great. If you think about some of the partnerships that you might have in place currently or other partnerships that would be necessary within your community or region to help move your vision forward, what would that what would those look like? In Coquille, we have, you know, pizza parlor, the gas station, those kind of things. We we have the mill and they're they're really and we have a couple of banks and everybody's been incredibly generous uh to us. But we're, we're fairly limited on what we can do locally. So we're hoping to expand partners. Um, we have the funds to build the building. We don't really have all the funds to fill the building up with the cool things that kids deserve and with the playground that I want these students to have. And when I, when I talk to people about this, I really tell the folks, I want you to think about Willy Wonka when they first walk in and see the magic of the chocolate factory and the whole bit. That's what I want for our daycare. And people tell me, well, that's going to be expensive. And, and I get that. But again, that's just a barrier that needs to be overcome. And I think we can do that. I think we can make this magical place that's not school, that is not just, you know, I'm stuck here for eight hours a day because mom and dad are working. We want this place where the kids are just engaged and captivated and feel like they're in this wonderful place all the time. And so to transform a 2,400-square-foot space into a magical space, that's where I'm looking for partners, and that's where the help would come from. I have this vision in my mind, and we get closer every day to making that happen. But that that's really the difference that I see. With your focus now on early learning or an increasing focus on early learning, how do you think about connecting what happens in the early years to what needs to happen in the early grades? How, how does that continuum look to you or how do you think about that continuum? We have this conversation quite a bit with our administrative team. We're sending whole different learners to our elementary school than we were four years ago. We have students that are now, have now been in school three-year-olds, four-year-olds, full-day kindergarten, and now they're entering first grade. So we've spent a lot of energy getting our first grade teachers up to snuff on receiving these uh, much more engaged students and much further along. We're also seeing a different thing. Um, we, we have a strong intervention program at Coquille Valley Elementary School. And so what we're starting to see is that we're closing the learning gap before the learning gap um, has even started. And I think our most telling uh, statistic is when I arrived in Coquille in 2010, we had 19% of our student body on IEPs. Uh, identified for special needs. Today, that number is 10.5%. Just the impact of reading to kids, working with kids, and closing that gap. 
has made it so that we really only identify students that have special needs, not students who are three years behind because they haven't had anybody read to them or they haven't had an opportunity to uh, to be engaged with their peers. So that's been a huge, huge breakthrough for our district. What kinds of things do you need to have in place to make sure your staff and teachers have the competencies required to serve kids and families both you know, in the preschool or in the early grades uh, and potentially how they link together. But in terms of professional development or competencies, how do you think about that? Actually, I'm going to jump to the other end, to our high school students for a moment. We are working with Southwest Oregon Community College to articulate a program of study for our high school students who can then go into the classroom with our littlest kids and start earning college credits so we plan on offering an Ed 150, 151, and 154 course and then six hours of practicum credits. So a high school junior, senior could pick up 15 college credits in education and start deciding if they want to become a school teacher or early education specialist. And the district will pay for all those credits. And so that's that's a great thing for our students. But we're working to get that part articulated and working to get someone identified so that we can offer those credits. So that's some of the training we're working on with our high school at the high school end. With the early learning end, we have continually sought professional development. In fact, our entire staff at Lincoln took last Friday and went up to the Oregon Reading Conference. And so that was a great opportunity. We're spending a lot of time with the reading part of it, but we're also really wanting to expand into STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. I've got a great photo on my iPhone of our kindergartners doing a science lesson. They're all in their lab coats. They've got their welding masks on, and they're doing a, a drawing of the sun and working with their teacher. Of course, they can't really write in journals at age five, but we're working on that. So it's not just, I guess, the professional development. I think the easiest way to say it is reading is important, but we really want them to have a wonderful experience in all kinds of areas. And so that's the professional development we're working on as well. If you look back on your education and training to become a superintendent, what would you want to have to better prepare you for the work you now have underway? I've thought about this since uh, I arrived, and this is a, a tricky question because I really thought that the program I was in at Southern Oregon did a, a great job of preparing me until I actually took the seat. They talk a lot about being the educa- educational leader for your district, and you are in a sense, but a lot of that work gets handed off to your building principals. You are really the chief executive officer of a multimillion-dollar corporation, with the goal being to get your students through to graduate, to be successful on to college or whatever post-secondary life they want to have. And the concept of being the money manager, the person who has to say no, the concept of I'm going to build a building now and how does that look? How do I sell that to my community? Those kind of conversations we never really had in our in our program for our administrative licensure. And how do we transform a district that's struggling? 
has declined in enrollment and turn it into a district that people want to be at, and then you don't have the housing to support that. And now people are saying, how do I fix the housing problem in Kokio? Well, I have no idea how you fix a housing problem in Kokio, but I'm working on it and looking at it. It's so multifaceted being in the superintendent's chair. It's so much different than being a building principal or being a classroom teacher. I get up every day and I'm energized. I'm excited. I can't imagine doing anything else with my time. I can't imagine being in any place else but Coquille. But to say I'm the educational leader, it falls well short of where I really do (laughs) every day. I can imagine. Thank you. Uh, Tim, I wish you the best of luck. Thanks for speaking with me today. Thank you, Rafael. I appreciate it. This is Rafael Otto bringing you the Early Link Podcast. Children's Institute is working to ensure a strong beginning for Oregon's children. Learn more at childinst.org.